And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot begins verse-by-verse teaching from the book of Romans. You're invited to turn in your Bibles to Romans, and let's get started with an overview of the entire book. And now, with his message for today, Pastor Robert Elliot. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank and praise you for the magnificent Savior you've provided and so great a salvation in him. How different our lives are and how better our lives are here on this earth. And one day we know for certain because of the Lord Jesus and your grace that we shall see you and we shall enjoy all the things you've graced heaven with. But Lord, we confess heaven will mostly be heaven because Jesus will be there. And so we pray that as we begin this preaching series in the great epistle to the Romans, that we would afresh and anew see the magnitude and the great beauty of this salvation which is ours in Christ. May you be honored and glorified as has been prayed. Hide me and magnify Jesus. And I pray this with my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always a somewhat tenuous proposition to ask yourself if you could only have one book of the Bible, if you, for any reason, could only have one book of the 66 books, uh, what book might you want? There are many possible answers, of course, with good reasons for each, but as I've reflected upon that over the years of being a Christian, If I could only have one book of God's Word, it would be the book of Romans, a book that gives us a scope and a theological understanding of God's salvation of sinners in Christ. Some years ago, I embarked on a challenge that I call Route 66, a famous route in the United States, a highway. And Route 66 years ago for me was to preach a single sermon on each of the 66 books of the Bible. And so what I'm going to share with you tonight is my Route 66 sermon on the book of Romans as an introduction to a series of preaching through Romans verse by verse. In the will of the Lord, next Sunday in the morning, we'll begin at Romans 1 and verse 1, and we'll go through verse 7. And then in the will of the Lord, a week from this evening, Sunday evening next, we'll pick that up at Romans 1, 8, and we'll do that. Through, as we progress through the whole of the book, uh, both morning and evening, we'll be looking at Romans verse by verse. So this is the Route 66 uh, message for the book of Romans. Romans, I want to point out to you, stands first and at the head of all the other epistles of the New Testament. This is so, I believe, because it is the systematic tracing of the gospel from condemnation to justification to sanctification to glorification. It is also an explanation of God's flawless program, both for Jews and for Gentiles. The book concludes with very practical exhortations for the outworking of imputed righteousness within believers. 
while the four Gospels present the words and the works of Christ, while the book of Acts presents the birth and the first steps of the baby church, the book of Romans presents the humongous significance of Christ's sacrificial death. As I said, Romans is placed first in order among all of the New Testament epistles because the other epistles all build upon the doctrinal foundation which Romans lays down. It's safe to say that the book of Romans has influenced the subsequent history of the church more than any other New Testament epistle. Romans has 16 chapters. They divide this way. Chapters 1 through 11, doctrine. Chapters 12 through 16, behavior. 1 through 11, doctrine. 12 through 16, behavior. Or, another way to look at the whole book, chapters 1 through 8, God's righteousness revealed. Chapters 9 through 11, God's righteousness vindicated. Chapters 12 to 16, God's righteousness applied. Let me say that again. Chapters 1 through 8, God's righteousness revealed. Chapters 9 through 11, God's righteousness vindicated. And chapters 12 through 16, God's righteousness applied. Or one last possible overview of the book. Chapters 1 through 3, sin. Chapters 3 through 5, salvation. Chapters 6 through 8, sanctification. Chapters 9 through 11, sovereignty. And chapters 12 through 16, service. All S's. 1 to 3, sin. 3 to 5, salvation. 6 to 8, sanctification. 9 through 11, sovereignty. 12 through 16, service. There are so many choice and beloved passages in the book of Romans. It's challenging to select only two key passages. By the way, that is what I tried to do for the other 65 books in the Route 66 series, to only focus in on two key passages per book. It's difficult in the book of Romans to select only two. There are some key theological terms in the book. Righteousness. Faith, law, sin, each of these appear at least 60 times in this epistle. It does seem apparent, though, that the theme of the whole book of Romans is presented in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. Would you go there with me? Romans 1 16 to 17, it would seem clear that the theme of the whole book is encapsulated in 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. This is the theme of Romans. God's righteousness being revealed in God's salvation. 
God's righteousness being revealed in his salvation. We must notice that God's salvation is built on God's righteousness and not vice versa. God's salvation is built on his righteousness. God, of course, is eternally righteous. This moved him to provide salvation for sinners who are a far cry from righteous. Will you notice also with me that this righteous foundation with a salvation built upon it could be viewed sort of like a house? That the righteousness of God is the foundation and the salvation of God that reveals the righteousness of God, the salvation of God is like a house built on the foundation of God's righteousness. And this house built on the foundation of God's righteousness, has a name written all over it. And that name is the gospel. The gospel is written all over the house of salvation that sits on the foundation of God's righteousness. Again, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I've taught you before that the gospel is defined by the scriptures. We should always let the scriptures inform the scriptures. We should always have the scriptures be the commentary on the scriptures. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, the gospel is defined. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it comes. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared. This is the Gospel. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. This is Pastor Nicholas, and today we want to continue to talk about Through the Fire. And we want to continue to talk about David and Jonathan because... This friendship, as we have already seen, um, Saul has gotten jealous. And now he has even tried to kill David, not once, but twice. He threw a spear at him trying to kill him. And we want to really continue to look at this as we think of 1 Samuel chapter 19. And we want to focus on verses 1 to 7. And it says this, Saul ordered his son, Jonathan, and all his servants to kill David. But Saul's son, Jonathan, liked David very much. So he told him, My father Saul intends to kill you. Be on guard in the morning and hide in a secret place and stay there. I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and talk to him about you. When I see what he says, I'll tell you. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father. He said to him, The king should not sin against his servant, David. He hasn't sinned against you. In fact, his actions have been a great advantage to you. He took his life in his hands when he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great victory for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. So why would you sin against innocent blood by killing David for no reason? 
Saul listened to John's advice, swore an oath, as surely as the Lord lived, David will not be killed. So Jonathan summoned David and told him all these words. Then Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he served him as he did before. We see here at the beginning as Jonathan is, is saying, look, I want to see what my dad thinks about you. I want to be there for you. We see him being such a great friend. What, what is it to be a great friend? A great friend is someone who is there for you, someone who really is there for you no matter what it can cost them. Whether it costs them popularity, whether it costs them other friends, whether it costs them their reputation, they're a true friend. And, and let me just make this very clear because some people may say, well, what are you telling me, Pastor Nicholas? Are you telling me that I should hang with people that, um, you know, aren't living right? No, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you the complete opposite. I'm telling you people who basically are there who are going to bring you closer to God. And it doesn't matter as you consider your life of Christ that you should stand up no matter what. You see, John then risked his own reputation, his relationship with his dad, and maybe his own life to help his friend. He was there for him no matter what. Um, you know, I think too many times as we consider friendships and we consider people in our lives, um, you know, we really see who is our true friends. Because when the fire starts, they leave us. They're not there for us. You see, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all know what it's like to be caught in between two people who simply can't agree. It's an uncomfortable place, but I love the way John handled this. He spoke truth, brave. He stood up for his friend and called his father out of his actions, but he did in a way that honored both his friend and his father. He fought for peace. He was there. He was trying to see, you know what, I want to I see peace come between you guys. I don't want you to be fighting because I love both of you. And I want to be there. I want you to help me. I want you to understand that, you know, David is here for the right reason. He's here from God. He's here trying to fight and do what he can for Israel. Don't allow jealousy to get in the way of this. Don't allow your hate because you think that, you know, people like him more to, to just dishonor what God has. But one thing we know about the story, and, and we don't have the, the time to go into it, is that this only lasted for a time where Saul continued to grow jealous of David, where Saul continued to, to try to plot to see David be killed. But yet Jonathan always was there. Jonathan was always there to help him, to be there for him, to, to make sure that you know David knew what was going to happen. And some of us may look at that and say, well, you know, he's deceiving his dad. He's disobeying his dad. But I think that we need to understand that David was a special person in God's eyes. As we have already said, he's a man after God's own heart. And yes, David did a lot of things. When we consider that title that we would say, wow, are you, you know, are you sure? But David was a man that followed after God no matter what. Whatever the price was, he followed after him. And I think that as we consider, again, our friendships and we consider relationships around us, we need to know that we can trust God and we can trust that God's going to be there for us. And even when people come up against us and when opposition comes, we can trust in a God that is greater than the opposition. We can trust in a God that, that is there for us. You know, the Bible says, if he is for us, who could be against us? You know, People may come up against us in, in the sense of this world, but one thing is we have a God who is everlasting, who is there forever. You know, when we consider, as we consider continuing this story, um, you know, we, we look at First Samuel chapter 20, and, and we don't have the time, and we, we're not going to look at it because it's 42 verses. 
But I think we see clearly here as King Saul becomes more, he becomes angrier. His actions becoming more extreme. But no matter how the heat came, Jonathan didn't back down. He stuck by David and worked harder than ever to protect him. But his plan, as we, as we see, he, he uses a plan to try to let David escape so that David would be able to get away from, from King Saul. And I think that as we consider this, and we consider how going through a fire, going through relationships, their relationship became stronger. You know, as I talked about last time, when we consider a piece of steel, when you bring steel and, and, and you heat up steel, there, you know, we need to understand that steel comes in all different strengths. Um, you know, we have a lot of different steel buildings that we put up today, and, you know, some of the steel loses its strength. And the way they get the strength back and, and the, they, they allow the things to get stronger, they put it through fire. And it's no different in, in our relationship and our friendship. As we consider going through fire, we consider the problems that we may face, we consider, you know, everything that may happen. We need to find people that, that we surround ourselves with that is going to be there. That even in the fire, our friendships grow stronger. Even in the fire, we're there for one another. You see, David and John, they went through fire, but that fire didn't break them. It strengthened them. And it strengthened their friendship. And I think that this is how we can truly see friendships and relationships. How, what friendships and relationships are we to fight for? Which ones do we say, you know what, this one is worth fighting for. And this one over here is, you know what, it's not worth it. Because this person over here is trying to bring me down. This person is not good for me. And I want to just, you know, in, in closing for this week, I want us to, I want to talk to you who call yourselves Christians. Because I know for me when I was in school, I was all about trying to please people. I was all about trying to make sure that, hey, you know what, I had people with me, and I was all about, you know, making sure I was popular, making sure that the people liked me. But like I said last week, majority of the time, we try to impress these people. But yet, when we realize later on in life, you know, we're not even friends anymore. We're not there for one another anymore. You know, and I think that too many times we need to understand that what's the point of fighting for these people? When they have nothing good about, you know, they're not there for us. You know, Proverbs 18, 24 says this, One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. And I want to ask you, do you have a friend that's there for you no matter what? Do you have a friend that's closer than a brother or a sister? Do you have a friend that no matter what, they're there for you? And they, when you talk to them, they, they help you, they bring you closer to God. You know, they, we, we can talk about things of God. Or as a Christian, you have people who, you know what, I can't even talk about God to because they'll laugh at me. Well, the reality is these are friends that you need to, to get rid of. These are friends that you need to talk to them about Christ. But if they don't respond, you need to say, you know what, maybe this friendship isn't for me. Maybe this is a friendship that I, I need to let go. And I know people don't like to hear that. But that's reality. Reality is, is that there are people who are in your life that you need to get rid of because there are people in your life that you just cannot be friends with because you know they bring you down. So again, I just challenge you, ask yourself, when we go through the fires, when we go through the problems, does it make us stronger or does it tear us apart? 
because these are the friendships. Those that are stronger are the ones that you need to fight for. And now, today's personal God story. I grew up in Calvary Bible Church, uh, attended Sunday school, church. My grandmother was a choir director. Uh, all of my family was really involved in church. So when I was younger, I believed that I could get to heaven by just my parents and my grandparents. They were Christian, so therefore I believed I was a Christian. So that all changed when I was about 10 years old. I went to the Word of Life Ranch in Scroon Lake, New York, and it was during an altar call I realized that I needed to make my faith my own. My faith wasn't my parents' faith or my grandparents' faith. So I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I understood that He came to earth and died for my sins in order for me to be saved, that I needed to believe that for myself. So my life changed for a short period of time after that. I went off to college and I went to a Christian college, Cedarville University. And my freshman semester there, I rededicated my life to Christ. So being at a Christian college, it was very easy to for my faith to grow, as well as I had my grandmother to help my faith grow as well. She was a very strong influence in my life. So throughout that time, I went through a lot of trials and tribulations, but my faith did grow. I was sick often, but I found that my faith was growing. So it was about my junior year that my grandmother got sick and I moved home and I was her caretaker and I really found myself angry with God, why he made her sick, why he would make someone sick. That was the biggest influence in my life. And then she passed away in June of 2014. And I found myself really angry with God. I shut him out completely. I was at a Christian college and taking all of these Bible classes, but I didn't want anything to do with God at all. So I shut him out. I said, I don't want anything to do with him. And then I moved back home and I was still struggling when I came back home. Still didn't want anything to do. I wouldn't come to church. I didn't want to do with anything to do with God. I wouldn't sing because she loved to sing. So I just ran away from it. And my dad actually recommended that I go and speak with Sister Helen Arnett at the Christian Counseling Center. And I went to a few meetings with her and she really helped to put me back on the right path just to kind of tell me, you know, hey, your grandmother would love for you to be growing in your faith, you know. So she kind of pushed me towards that and she made me realize that even when my grandmother was sick, she was still praising God. And she knew that when she died, she knew where she was going and she was at peace. So, and that's ultimately what I wanted my life to be like. So that's what pushed me to rededicate my life and get baptized. My name is Anissa Aubrey. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We hear at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. 
You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Lanier's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5 give rise to the question, what is the difference between the terms chose, that is, elected, and predestined? The biblical truth of divine election is expressed by Paul in the words of verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The Greek word translated chose, eklego, means picked out or selected. Used here in the middle voice, the word means to choose someone for oneself. Election may be defined as God's act of choosing those who, through personal faith, will be saved and will become members of the body of Christ. The word translated predestined, pruizo, means marked out by boundaries beforehand. Used in verse 5, the word places special emphasis on God's will and his active involvement in the life and destiny of the believer. God has determined beforehand that those who would believe in Christ will be adopted into his spiritual family and conformed to the image of his son. See Romans chapter 8 verses 29 and 30. The doctrine of election teaches that believers are chosen to become God's children through faith in Christ. God's choosing never cancels out or eliminates the necessity of personal faith. Those who are chosen are also predestined. God has marked out the boundaries of their lives from the beginning to the end. While there is freedom of movement within those boundaries, the destiny that God has purposed will be accomplished. The doctrines of election and predestination are among the more mysterious workings in God's economy. We don't understand them completely, yet they are biblical teachings and we embrace them by faith. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.